0: told y'all we're gonna be going through a series called To Be With Jesus, um, and we're gonna be covering some ways where we can focus on being with Jesus and growing our relationship with him. Um, a mentor friend of mine gave me this idea, and I said, that's really smart, I'm gonna do that. Um, but we're gonna be going through this book, it's called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Um, before you freak out, I'm not preaching from a book that's not the Bible, it's just a guide, and he gives a lot of good ideas. We're preaching from the bible okay guys we're going to be going through scripture um but the only reason i even mention the book is because i want to invite and encourage you guys to read along with me um there's a lot of chapters we're not going to be able to cover throughout this semester there's more chapters than there are tuesday night worships um also he's going to say a lot more smart things than i can say in the book so i just want to invite you guys to read it i think we may have a copy at the caiapha library um also it's pretty affordable online and if money's an issue, um, come talk to me and we'll figure it out if you really want to read it. Um, but, yeah, now when we say discipline, we don't mean like, go sit in the corner, you're in trouble. That's not that's not what we mean, right? Um, but it's, it's ways of, you know, um, I guess practicing self-discipline in our, in our spiritual lives. Actually, um, we were singing one of the songs that made me think of just a really good way to describe it when we were saying to love you from the inside out, like that's what the disciplines teach us how to do that. So this series is really gonna be focusing on how we can love the Lord from the inside out. That's a lot of preface. We're gonna move on. Um, So we're gonna jump straight into the text. Um, We're gonna be in Luke 11, uh, verses one through 13. Um, But before I read that, I wanna read you guys actually a quote um, from Celebration of Discipline. Um, Foster says, Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. It's the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Okay, so there's a lot of things I want to cover. Hopefully I don't go over too much. Hopefully it all makes sense, Um, but first we're going to talk about how to pray. Alright, so the first scripture, um, we're going to be in Luke 11. So I'll just read verses 1 through 4 to start out with. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Okay, so every single time we pray, that's what we should say, right? What's the consensus? What do you guys think? Okay. Caitlin said yeah. All right. I think it's beautiful when liturgical church congregations corporately pray this together. But I think there's a little bit more to learning how to pray than repeating the same prayer every time, right? I mean, if we look at more of Scripture, like just a chapter before this, Jesus was telling his disciples, hey, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest. Like, pray that God would send more people to go and share the good news about the kingdom of God, right? And then later on, we see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. And these aren't the exact words that he prays, right? So prayer is more than just repeating the same thing every time. So maybe he's teaching us how we should go about praying, right? Maybe he's giving a framework For wider prayer. So we're going to break it down so we can piece it together um, and learn to pray from this. So to start out with, we should address God with reverence, right? He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Okay, hallowed is kind of a, a weird word, I'll be honest, right? It's a little old English. That word's not really in my vocabulary. So maybe we need to figure out what hallowed means, right? It means honored or made holy, right? You guys know I'm nerdy and I like to look at the original language sometimes and look at that definition, right? So the word that we translate to hallowed is hagiadzo. I wrote that phonetically in my notes. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> this word is to regard with great respect that which is holy. It's to acknowledge a separation of profane things from the things of God. So we could say that God, is, his name is hallowed, in a way that makes more sense to us, in a way that we mean it more, right? We could say, Father, your name is holy. You are far above and far better than the things of this world. Right, the next sentence says, your kingdom come. Right, like your kingdom be established here. It's a way of saying, I'm expecting your will. I see the things you are doing and I'm, I'm awaiting what you will do. It's also like exciting anticipation of like, God, your kingdom is coming. Like we're waiting for something exciting. Next he says, give us each day our daily bread. Right, like, provide for us. Be the sustenance that we need. Be our provision. Next he says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Here we see a cue to confess our sins. We know that God is full of grace, and he's abounding in steadfast love. And he will forgive those who repent. And this he's modeled for us, that we should forgive others as well. Now, the next sentence I want to spend just a few minutes thinking about, because I think a lot of people misunderstand it when they read it. It says, lead us not into temptation. Now, James chapter 1 tells us that God does not tempt anyone, and he is not tempted with evil. I think sometimes people have read this as, like, asking God not to tempt us, as if that's something that he would do. But I think with a better understanding of what God will and won't do, we can, we can pray more rightly. Um, we can understand that we're to ask God to lead us in a path that will be away from temptation. We can say, protect me from temptation. Like, we know that we're weak, and we need God's guidance to protect us from that. I, I feel like the Lord's Prayer is a how-to more than a what-to. Does that make sense? He's explaining how we should go about this, not necessarily repeat these exact words every time. And even when we continue in the passage, um, we, see, we see that's broadened up more. But we, we need to pray with sincerity in our minds and hearts. If the word hallowed is not in your regular vocabulary, then say what you mean. Right? Say that you believe his name is the highest and holiest above all. Jesus isn't just giving us a monologue to memorize and repeat back to him. Um, He's teaching us how to approach the Father with adoration, humility, reverence, and to seek his kingdom, his forgiveness, and provision. All right, let's move on to the rest of the passage, starting in uh, verse 5. And then he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him? And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So he's sort of like pitching this hypothetical. Right. So, let's, let's think. Um, let's say... You have a friend who comes in from out of town, um, where's Sam? Okay, Sam, let's say one of your friends from Zimbabwe just like flies in and is like, hey, I'm here to visit. And you're like, this is a surprise. Um, I've not bought groceries in a while. And so you're thinking like, oh, man, what do I do? And you remember, oh, you know what? My my campus pastor friend, Christine, she's comfortable living, right? You know, I'll go to her house. She's always got plenty of dried pasta probably, right? So. Honestly, that's pretty much what I got. And so, you come to my house, alright, it's late at night, you knock on my door, and I'm like, who on earth is at my house this late? Like, I'm in bed, I got my little space heater on, alright, I got my little sound machine that's playing the, the thunderstorm sounds, right? My dog, she's cuddled up, right? And you come to my house and you ask me for food at midnight because your friend's in town. Like, I'm not gonna respond just because of the terms of friendship that we have but because you have the audacity to show up, right? I mean, I think the terms of friendship would maybe be like, hey, don't show up at your friend's house that late at night, you know, like, oh, I'm trying to sleep, right? But Jesus says it's not because the terms of the friendship, but because of impudence, right? The the translation I read was the ESV, and it says impudence. But the NIV translation actually um, says, because of your shameless audacity, and I like that, I feel like it's a bit more straightforward. Um, Other translations say persistence. Um, And I think some translations use the word importunity, which again, big word that I don't really use, but it means persistence to the point of annoyance. All right, so it's not just like inconvenient that you're showing up, but you're like knocking on the door until they answer. Jesus is saying pray about what you need to the point of annoying persistence bother the father. I thought that was funnier, okay. (laughs) But we just talked about how we're supposed to approach God with reverence. Is it possible to reverently approach God with shameless audacity? I would argue that it would show a lack of respect and honor if we didn't appeal to God's power and perfect character in our prayers if we weren't persistent. Like, I think it'd be rude to pray, like, hey, God, um, this friend of mine, he's kind of sick, and it'd be nice if you wanted to heal him, but, I mean, whatever you want, really, like, I guess that's fine. Like, I think that's kind of underestimating who God is, right? We should pray audaciously and persistently. God, this is your child whom you love. Please heal him. right, and then he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Right, when we're supposed to have shameless audacity in our prayer, it's not asking just once with like a little pretty please on it, right? You don't just glance around the room and then give up when you don't see what you're looking for. You don't knock like your knuckles are bruised, right? Pursue God rightly in your prayer. Have the right attitude, recognize who he is. He is the one who can do the things that you can't do. That's why you're asking him. Jesus has taught us himself that we should pray earnestly and fervently. If we need something, we know that God has what we need, then we should ask for it like we know that. Then Jesus explains some very simple and straightforward logic we can all understand, right? Now none of us have children, but most of us have parents or parent-like figures, right? So he says, if a father has a child and that child asks for food, the father's not gonna, he's not gonna give that child something harmful, right? I was thinking about, um, like, one time I, I texted Jessica and asked her to bring me coffee. I don't know where she, there she is, okay. Like, imagine if today I texted Jessica and I was like, hey, um, can you bring me some coffee? I'm kind of low on caffeine. All right? imagine if she showed up and she brought me spoiled milk. How sad would I be? I don't even like regular milk, right? Or imagine if one of you asked to borrow a book from me and I gave you a spider. Like, how messed up would that be? Like, Jesus is pointing out that even though we're broken, sinful people, we still know how to give someone something good. How much better will God give us good things? He says, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we, we've talked through, you know, a, a basic structure on how to pray. We've talked through um, attitude and prayer. I, I want to go over some what-not-to-dos. Um, the first one, I think I coined this, maybe not, maybe I heard someone else say it, um, but we're gonna call it the, the vending machine God concept, where um, people kind of treat God like a vending machine. Like imagine a vending machine, you know, you go up to it, it has the glass, you can see all the goodies, there's the fluorescent lights, and you press the buttons and you get what you want, and you, and you walk away, and that's it. You have no other relationship with that vending machine than getting what you want and sometimes we treat god like that like we should just be able to walk up to him ask for what we want and then get it and then when we don't get it we act like the machine's broken and so we go find another vending machine right that's not a real relationship with god the second one is only praying god's will passively right we should seek god's will but i've seen so many people pray for god's will as a cop-out where it's like lord you know, my finances are really tough right now, um, and I don't know how I'm going to eat the rest of this month, but just let your will be done. Don't worry about it. Just let your will be done. Like, I, th- I think Scripture shares with us a lot about God's will, right? I don't think God desires for his children to go hungry. I don't think it's wrong to ask God to help provide for you to eat, to help God provide for your bills, right? Like, Sometimes people pray God's will as a cop-out, and then they don't even mean it. The next one is only praying for others, right? Like, you'll get a text from your friend. It's like, hey, my Nana, she's not doing good. Please pray for her. And, and you pray for her Nana, right? And then later, you know, you're in small group, and you're, you're praying, you know. But that's the only time you talk to God. We should be praying for other people. But if that's the only time you talk to God, what kind of relationship is that? The other one is the corporate prayer only, right? It's the person that, they'll come to church and they'll pray there and then they go to small group and then, um, you know, their small group leader's like, hey, you've been kind of quiet tonight, will you pray, right? That's the only time you pray. But where's the relationship with God in that? Like we should be praying corporately, we should be praying together. But to build a deeper relationship with God, you should be praying on your own as well. Something that I really want you guys to walk away from tonight knowing is how important prayer is. Not just conceptually, but that you're doing it every day. Right? We don't just need to have a right understanding of how to pray, but then we put that right understanding into work. That we're, that we're doing the things that we understand. Not just conceptually, but we're doing it every day. I'm going to be controversial for a second. Um, But there's this specific theological teaching going around um, that it makes it sound like we're we're less than participants in our own lives, where it's like you're in an amusement park ride, and you have to keep your hands and legs inside the ride at all times. And then you're just going to ride along through life, because God pre-wrote it all. You guys, I believe in God's sovereignty. And I believe in his sovereignty so much I I believe it's put on display. All of his all-powerfulness and his complete control is put on display in the fact that he lets us have free will and his ultimate and perfect will and plans are not thwarted by our ability to choose wrongly. I think prayer is an incredible example of how, how we can participate in God's plans right? That while people run around seeking their own wills, that when we pray, we have the opportunity to participate in God's plans. Passively praying for the Lord's will is not the same thing as participating in his plans. I want to read you guys an example from Exodus that really blows my mind, and like every time I read it, I'm still in awe. Um, So we're going to be in... um, Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 14, Um, but before we read that, while you guys are turning or scrolling, um, I'm going to read you another quote from Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. He says, the Bible prayers prayed as if their prayers could and would make an objective difference. Prayers, as in like the noun that people praying, as if their prayers could and would make an objective difference. So that's what we're gonna, we're gonna read in Exodus. But to give you some context of what's going on around this, so God has just delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. They're kind of in the wilderness. Um, you know, they're kind of scared, they're kind of confused. And Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai to meet with God. And Aaron is left in charge of the other Israelites. And they have this idea to take all the gold and melt it down and turn it into an idol that looks like a calf, right? And so what we're going to read is God's conversation with Moses about it, because Moses is like up on the mountain when this is happening, right? So starting in verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people, whom you have brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it, and sacrificed to it, and have said, these are your gods, Israel. Who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Verse 11, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Even though Moses was asking God to do something different, it was still with a desire for the Lord to be glorified. And it was still with a desire to see the Lord's will done. I'm going to read you another quote from Celebration of Discipline. He says, in prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him. To desire the things he desires to love the things he loves to will the things he wills it would have been completely fair and just for the lord to destroy the israelites for their infidelity their abandonment of the lord all right the lord was ready to forsake the unfaithful israelites and start over with moses all right something something to understand You know, we know that God always keeps his word. And this was still God keeping his word, wanting to destroy them, because they had what's called a covenant, and those go both ways. If one party breaches the covenant, the other one is relinquished from it. And they broke the covenant by worshiping other idols. And so it would have been completely fair and just for God to destroy them. Honestly, that's what they deserved. I mean, the Israelites, they were kind of awful. They were ungrateful and whiny. And so here stood Moses, and he loved them, and he knew that the Lord loves them too. God was going to be glorified either way. He was going to move forward with his plan to have a people and to give them a land. And he was still going to use the descendant of Abraham to do it. Right? He was offering this to Moses. He was like, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to make you the guy. We'll forget the rest of them." God was going to pivot the details of his plan to further his will for humanity. But Moses pled with the Lord. He said, we've already come this far, and if we start over, then the Egyptians won't think rightly or understand who you are. But I know who you are. I know the covenant you made with Abraham. Please don't destroy the Israelites. And it says that the Lord relented and did not bring the disaster on his people that he had threatened. Moses was shamelessly audacious, right, to stand before God and say, hey, I know you just said the thing that you're going to do, however, please don't, and here's why. And I don't think Moses was asking selfishly, right, as we read through Exodus, like, we see Moses complain about the Israelites, right, he practically calls them crybabies, and I'm not exaggerating, like, he literally compares them to crying infants at one point, point. Um, and it would have been more convenient Moses to go along with God's redirection. You know, he wouldn't have been responsible for these whiny, unfaithful people, and then, you know, God was going to make him the head of this great nation. But I think it was Moses' compassion for the Israelites, and for the Egyptians, too, um, that compelled him to this petition. After everything they'd just been through to escape captivity, for the Israelites to be brought out of slavery just to be destroyed for their unfaithfulness. It would be just, but Moses desired for them to get to live in communion with God. There was a promised land, and he wanted them to get to experience it. Now, I think Moses was probably sitting there thinking, there has to be another way. The journey has been difficult, yeah, but please have mercy on them. And for the sake of the Egyptians, too, I think that also really catches my attention, that it wasn't just the Israelites he was concerned about, but he said, man, the Egyptians, they're not going to think rightly about you, God, and that's not okay. They need to know who you are. He didn't want them to come to wrong conclusions about the Lord's character. I think it's important to note that this is not the first time that Moses spoke with God. Moses had an established relationship with God. Thinking back to what Jesus said um, about asking your friend for loaves of bread at midnight, while it is the shameless audacity that compels the friend to help, he does say it's a friend. He doesn't say it's a stranger or just some person. He says it's a friend. It's important that we have an established relationship with God. And that comes through prayer. You guys see how the layers are building on? Learning how to pray to God, our adoration for him, confessing our shortcomings, thanking him for all he's done, and petitioning for our needs and the needs of others. We must learn how to boldly and humbly pray and talk to the living God, just like the examples we read tonight. You know, the the quote that I told you at the beginning, I know I've read a few, but the one at the beginning, where he talks about how prayer ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. When we pray, we're communing with God. You know, he'll speak to us and he'll respond to us, and we'll grow in our listening and understanding. Sometimes we pray just once and we wonder, why has not answered yet? But now we know, (laughs) we've read, we've talked about it, we need to persistently, shamelessly approach the Father. when we spend time sharing our heart with God, I believe that he shares his heart with us, that he shapes our heart to, to care for what he cares for. That he'll reveal his desires for us, and he'll encourage and convict us. Prayer must be central to our relationship with God. Other than reading scripture, it's how we get to know him. And if you're not doing either of those, then I worry about your relationship with God. Um, I want to share with you a story that I read recently. Um, So there was this region in Africa where the first people um, to convert to Christianity they were very diligent about praying. Um, In fact, the believers each had their own special place outside the village where they would go to pray in solitude, kinda like a prayer room. And each person would have their own like personal path, how they would get there from their home. Um, So you knew like whose was whose. And so like, the more that they would walk, the more the path would be beaten down to where the grass would be beaten down, to where it was a dirt path, right? So when the grass began to grow over one of these trails, it was evident that the person to whom it belonged hadn't been praying very much. Because these new Christians were very concerned for each other's spiritual welfare, this unique custom sprang up where whenever someone noticed an overgrown prayer path, he or she would go to their friend, And lovingly warned them, saying, friend, there's grass on your path. Tonight, I want to ask you guys, is there grass on your prayer path? Are you consistently going to the Lord in prayer so that you have a beaten proverbial path? You know, I've talked a lot tonight (laughs) about a lot of things, right? How to pray, how not to pray, how to pray with the right attitude, but what do those things even mean to you if you're not actually praying? Like, I can tell you all the good things on how to do something or instruction, but it, it doesn't mean anything if you guys don't apply it. Um, so we're going to take some time to respond. No surprise in prayer. Um, Caitlin's going to put on some music. But uh, there's, there's a few different, um, I guess, encouragements I want to give you guys. Um, to I think specific specific situations I guess. Um, so for one, you know I'm sure that some of you have never had a consistent prayer life before. I want to encourage you to begin that tonight. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord. Um, you know maybe maybe you've never prayed out loud before. Maybe you've never thought to spend time in prayer, or maybe you've never thought about praying in the ways we've talked about tonight. Um, I want to encourage you to, to be intentional about spending time in prayer with God every day. You know, whether it's 20 minutes in the morning or two hours at night or both, whatever, you know, seek God, see what, see what he would have you do. Um, but that's what I want to encourage you to start tonight. Some of you, maybe you have had that consistent prayer time before, but for whatever reason, it's fallen off lately, right? Maybe you've gotten distracted, busy. I wanna encourage you to seek the Lord in repentance for neglecting that important part of your life. You know, you can begin again tonight. The next one, this one's kind of random, but when I was writing up my notes, I just felt compelled to put this in here. Um, You know, I think some of you, maybe there's something that you know you need to pray about, but you're not for whatever reason. Maybe you're scared to say the words. Maybe you're scared of what God's answer will be. Um, Whatever it is that's holding you back, I just want to remind you that God is compassionate and abounding in steadfast love. He's slow to anger. You can take any need, question, or hurt to him. I want to encourage you guys to respond that way. And lastly, you know, if you feel like those other things don't necessarily apply to you, maybe you have a really great prayer life. I want to encourage you to maybe step out in boldness and pray for a friend. But that's um, that's sort of the prompts for you guys to respond. Um, I'm going to pray. And then someone may or may not lower the lights. We'll see. And then um, I just want you guys to spend some time in prayer. If you want to come down to the front, stand, sit, whatever makes you feel comfortable. Um, But if you will stand while I pray, that'd be nice. All right, I'll pray. Lord, we just come before you, recognizing your holiness, your greatness, Lord. Recognizing how undeserving we are of your grace, but how loving you are to pour out on us anyway, Lord. God, I just ask that you would just renew our minds. purify purify our hearts, cleanse our hands, Lord. God, continue to transform us into your image. God, I just pray that you would continue to compel each of us closer to you, that you would make us hunger and thirst to spend time with you, to spend time in prayer, to spend time talking with you, Lord. God, that we would truly desire to love you from the inside out and that we would grow to truly love you from the inside out, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Troy Kyalpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Kyalpha, you can look us up online at troykyalpha.com. You can email us at troykyalpha at gmail.com or find us on social media at Troy Thanks for listening.